0: Okay, so in this section, we want to look at the charisms. Paul's choice of the nine particular charisms found in 1 Corinthians 12 was due to their appearance and use in the Corinthian community. These are not privileged charisms in any particular sense. Tongues and interpretation appear last in the list is not by accident by Paul. The issue of wisdom and knowledge in the Corinthian community as a means to puff oneself up is problematic for Paul. He addresses the community in the beginning of the letter regarding the abundance of charisms, particularly wisdom and knowledge. For this community, these two gifts were occasions for division. So Paul, one of the things that Paul talks about in his teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, he's trying to correct some abuses by the Corinthian community. Like they really were big time into wisdom and knowledge and tongues and interpretation. And Paul, Paul doesn't, um, he doesn't take that away from them he says, there are more gifts than that. You should be concerned about all the other gifts, too. So, yeah, those, they're great that you, that you love those gifts, but there's a whole bunch else that God wants to give you as well that you're not opening your heart to. So his teaching on the charisms of the Spirit found in 1 Corinthians 12 is meant to correct the Corinthians because they limit what the Holy Spirit wanted to do. Paul was trying to get them to become broader in their expectation, So, verse 4, then, he says, now there are varieties of the gifts, which means there's a diversity to them. There's uh, a a diversity of the distributions, but the same spirit. The word for gifts means charismata or grace, which is a tribute to the Holy Spirit. And verse 5, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. The word for service here is diakoni in Greek. It means service. It means like a servant's heart, attributed to the Son, Jesus. And there are varieties of working, but it's the same God who inspires them all and everyone. The word for working here means divine power, and that's attributed to the Father. And then verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the whole purpose of the charisms is to build people up in their faith, hope, and love. So remember the charisms are the gifts of the spirit then aren't meant for me they're meant for somebody who's in need to be built up in the lord so for example if we if we were tonight and took time for prayer maybe someone may have in their heart they, they want to share with us and say that god's heart for us tonight is he really cares and loves us and wants to meet our needs and we call that a gift of prophecy meaning that that gift wasn't it wasn't for that person who, who spoke that. It was for the rest of us to be built up by that gift. Okay. So in verse 7, Paul says this. You're Look at letter C on your outline. Paul requires that the gifts are useful for upbuilding or edifying the church. This is the criteria for the charisms, their ability to build up the community. Can you imagine if you don't have the gifts operating, the charisms that Spirit operating? Can the community really be built up if you don't have the charisms operating? Kind of, it's like the reverse of what Paul is saying here. The gifts, number three, reveal the presence of the Holy Spirit. And number four, to each, to each given implies the Spirit distributing the gifts as he wills. So go back to my confirmation teacher in the classroom. When that person teaches, one of the things that Paul would say to them, hey, you should be earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts. So that when you teach these kids to open their hearts more up to the Holy Spirit, he wants to give you tools or gifts to help you to minister to them so they become more open to the Holy Spirit. So you should pray for that and expect the Lord to give those gifts to you, not for your sake, but for the sake of those kids, to open their hearts more up to the Holy Spirit. Because the purpose of the charisms is to build up the community, Verse eight. Let's take a look now specifically at the gifts. Verse eight: to, eat, to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. Now, on your notes here at the bottom of page twenty-three, uh, letter D in the First Corinthians chapter one verse five, the community is in, is enriched with all speech and knowledge. That was really a really might say a real special working of the Holy Spirit amongst the Corinthian community. They were big time into knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge of how the Lord works, knowledge of who the Lord was, and wisdom, meaning understanding of what he was doing. Uh, the problem in the community was they felt superior in their use of knowledge and wisdom. So in other words, all the, the, the great gifts of the Holy Spirit that he was given this community, they, the, you know, the fallen side of them was, that it made them feel like they were superior to everybody else. Okay. Number two is the charism, then, is an utterance of wisdom and knowledge. Utterance refers to logos, which means word, and this is an expression of the mind of God. So, so what is the utterance of knowledge? Let's turn over to page 24. Let me give you an example. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. There was a big debate in the, in the Corinthian community. What about all these idols that go on? There are people that sacrifice meats to the idols, and then should we eat the meat or not? You know, and Paul says, this is an utterance of knowledge, idols are nothing before the Lord. They're empty. Now that was a utterance of knowledge or a word of knowledge for the Corinthian community to set the record straight. Is you guys are getting hung up in something the Lord wants you to know, they mean absolutely nothing. They're empty. So then the word of wisdom is what am I supposed to do with that? Well, eat the meat even if it was sacrificed to idols. Don't worry about it, because they, those idols mean nothing anyway. So, in other words, the knowledge was the Lord is greater than those idols. Those idols are nothing. The wisdom is, God ahead and eat the meat. It solved the conflict in the community. It solved the debate in the community. It solved a source of division in the community. So it's really important, I think, to understand the context for that, because... That, that debate was dividing the community. Paul, through an utterance of knowledge or a word of knowledge, set the record straight. The Lord is greater than these idols. Don't worry about the idols. And then the wisdom was go ahead and eat. And that solved that particular aspect of division. All right. So, number four an utterance of wisdom then is the wisdom of God, it's revealed through the Holy Spirit. Wisdom in scripture is identified with Christ, and wisdom in the Old Testament is a grasp on God's plan of salvation. For Paul, he retains this meaning. A word of wisdom is manifesting some new grasp into the mystery of redemption through Christ. So in other words, a word of knowledge, or word of wisdom rather, is the application to living the Christian life well that comes from a knowledge of a word. I'll give you an example. Uh, Years ago I was at a prayer meeting, and a person stood up, uh, in the midst of the prayer meeting, and it was like a teaching time and they were only take about maybe ten minutes of this and they were talking about god 's love for the community. They talked about it from the perspective of how God created and then sent his son, but they talked about it in a way that really moved the hearts of people to a might say either a new or deeper understanding of god 's personal love for them through his working through his son they were st- They were talking about what we might call Christian Knowledge or understanding, but it was done in a way that moved people's hearts to be able to appreciate more deeply God's personal care for them. The wisdom of that, the word of wisdom, was that the, the teacher, or this person in particular, was talking about, was that how to live it out in a particular area of your vocations. He was speaking to married couples, basically, so that he could have husbands and wives become more open to how they cared for their families as pastoral shepherds, as he called them. He called them shepherds of their family. So what that did was that that, that an understanding of God's love applied to husbands and wives shepherding their families gave these couples, particularly, a better and deeper understanding and conviction and moved their heart to look at their children more from the perspective that they were shepherds of their children. So it was a word of knowledge, utterance of knowledge, God's love for them through His Son, His plan, and then their vocation. And then the wisdom was how to shepherd your kids more into understanding, and experiencing that love, and their role in that. He gave those people a new sense of their, um, a new sense of their calling as husbands and wives, as parents in shepherding their children, and that had some good benefits for those families as that fruit of that gift was manifested. So it's a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. Knowledge is, here's God's plan, what he intends to do. Wisdom is, hey, here's how you apply it as husband and wife in shepherding your family. Wisdom is how to put it into practice. Alright. Let's go on uh, verse 9. To another faith by the same spirit. Now, faith here is not the kind of faith where I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Rather, it's the faith that moves mountains. Okay. It's like it's a gift of confidence in God's intention to intervene powerfully in a situation. For example, when Peter met the lame, lame man um, outside the gate there, he looked at the man and said, I don't have silver or gold to give you, but what I do give you is in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Now, Peter had the gift of faith, a, a surging within him of confidence the Lord wanted to make this man whole and well at that point. Um, and I think another person that had the gift of faith in operating her life was Mother Teresa. I mean, Mother Teresa could walk into situations and s- s- particular situations. She'd walk into every city, but particular situations she felt the Lord was leading her to and established a house there to care for the poorest of the poorest. And um, she just had this confidence that the Lord was going to work in that particular situation in a way that he hadn't before. That's an example of the gift of faith, the charismatic gift of faith operating at that point. Okay, take a look at uh, the same verse there. Uh, So another faith by the same spirit, another gifts of healing by the one spirit. Now notice the word for gifts here is plural. Okay, so healing is defined as recovery. It could be of body, soul, or spirit. It could be a person recovering in a way that occurs over a period of time. So uh, we'll distinguish that from a miracle in a minute. So if I, so if somebody prays with a person maybe who has a broken arm, okay. And within two hours, the arm heals. We would call that a gift of healing. Now, the word gifts here is plural, meaning that there are different kinds of gifts for different kinds of diseases and sicknesses. So I've met people in the past who really were gifted with praying with people for inner healing, the healing of wounds in people's lives, the healing of memories. And whenever they pray with people to get healed in those areas of their life, they had a really, you know, effective, I call batting average there. They were really effective. And so they had, but if you put them in praying with somebody that had, you know, uh, bad eyesight or eardrums weren't working well, they weren't doing too good. But the gifts that did show more frequently in their life was when they prayed for people for healing of, like, memories or inner wounds in people's life. I've met people who are very effective in praying for uh Eyes, for example, people with cataracts or poor vision or even blindness. And in their life, they, they were, they, again, they were very effective and used by the Lord a lot in, in healing of those people with various eyesight issues. But then with cancer, their value average wasn't too good. Okay. Why does the Lord do that? I think the only reason I can think of is because he makes the body of Christ so interdependent. You know, he uses all kinds of people that are open to him in all kinds of situations you know so healing then is the restoring of a person in body soul or spirit and that can mean relationships as well okay. all right so it's plural though so look at number two under letter F Paul never says a person has the gift of healing as if someone habitually can use that gift it's rather plural The charisms, gifts, okay? Certain people are used with some frequency as a vessel of divine power to heal. So the charism then is a healing of ills, both physically and spiritually. Letter letter G now, miracles in verse 10. It says um, to another, the working of miracles. The word for uh, working here means uh, a deed of power. It's a concrete manifestation of God's presence that changes a situation almost immediately. So It could be a natural miracle, I mean, a miracle of natural, like the multiplication of bread, loaves, and fishes. Father Rick Thomas, Jesuit, who uh, he's since gone home to be with the Lord, but worked in, um, in Texas, uh, El Paso, Texas. Uh, he ministered amongst the poorest of the poor there. And uh, one time at Christmas, they were... They had food to minister to Christmas dinner, you might say. They had, like, more people came they had food for. So they asked the Lord to do something about that to meet their needs. And they kept on dishing out the food. So all the people went through, got all the food, and they realized that they kept on dishing. They had more food left over, more so than they brought. So he said that was a working of miracles, a multiplication of loaves. A lot of Jesus's healings in, in the scripture were miracles. People got healed instantly. You know, um, so miracles refers to a concrete deed of God's power that changed the situation almost immediately. Okay. Let's turn over to page twenty-five. Yes. Okay. If you have, if someone has the copy the mm-hmm. right. the recipient have, to have the same kind of faith? No. no the, the gift of gift of faith in that case, um, the gift to face is that person going. us say in this case, doing the praying has this. Um, it's like a surge of confidence. The Lord is going to do something right now in that person's life. The person who's ill, for example does not have to have any. They can be, a, they can be an atheist, okay? So, but it's the person that is, has opened their heart up to the Holy Spirit using them at so that, that point. If it doesn't happen, then it, it just wasn't. Exactly. If there's a gift of faith, though, working, there's probably something the Lord's going to do that's going to become obvious to people. Peter's example was great. He had the gift of faith, charismatic gift of faith at that point, that the Lord is going to heal this man who's been begging for 38 years. Jesus saw Peter also when he walked through the path and right. the lady touched the garment. He said, your faith has healed you. And he right. Back to you. Okay. Verse 10, again, continuing there, uh, Paul says to another, the working miracles, to another prophecy. So what is prophecy? Uh, we're going to talk more next week about prophecy, but just for tonight's sake, the gift shares in the prophetic anointing received in baptism. All of us, when we were baptized, were anointed priest, prophet, and king. So um, this gift is different from the prophetic vocation or office of prophet. Leumagentian says this, The holy people of God share also in Christ's prophetic office. It spreads abroad a living witness to him, especially by means of faith and charity and by offering to God a sacrifice of praise. So just, again, we'll look at more of this next week, but Paul's understanding of a prophecy is that any Christian can prophesy. In fact, he says when you're a gathering like this, he says it's better. He says that people be open to the gift of prophecy because prophecy is used to encourage, to inspire, to comfort, to build up God's people. He says it's better to prophesy than for everybody here to be praying in tongues and nobody know what the Holy Spirit is trying to say. Tongues would be more for private use, whereas prophecy builds up each other. Um, so function of prophecy in a Christian community, then, is not for teaching or preaching. It's for inspiring people to be exhorted to a particular action the Lord wants to do, a particular way of life he's calling them to. Um, it's inspiring them to be aware of how God is working in their midst. It's meant to comfort them, console them, encourage them. It's meant to build them up in the Lord. Uh, Paul says that every Christian should aspire to prophesy to be open to how the Lord wants to use you to build somebody up, console them, encourage them, exhort them, to comfort them. So we're going to look at some examples in just a minute, some case studies of this. Um, But prophecy is a wonderful gift. It's not predicting the future, what we're talking about here, although that can have a dimension of it. The gift we're talking about is the kind of gift, is the prophecy that is meant to encourage, build up, and comfort God's people. All right, and continuing in verse 10, Paul says here, the ability to distinguish between spirits. This is a person, the gift of discernment. Um, and here it's when a person prophesies, like, what spirit inspired them? What was their motivation? In other words, what, Well, what, where were they coming from when they, was it really of the Lord? Was it of the human heart only? Or was it of an evil source? So discernment then means distinguishing what the source is, where it comes from. And lastly is tongues and interpretation. Again, we'll talk more about that next week. But here, it's different from the private use of tongues. Tongues interpretation here is like, let's take this group here. Somebody stands up and speaks in a uh, we call it a prayer language of the tongues. Somebody else interprets what they're saying. Okay. In other words, they have a sense of what the Lord is saying here. Um, What's going on here? Two things are happening here. First is the Lord uses different people in the body of Christ for our interdependence. So he's interested in us collaborating, you might say. So he uses somebody to speak out loud in tongues, and he uses somebody else, a different person, to then interpret what that was saying. When somebody speaks out loud in tongues, it signals to everybody else, oops, the Lord has something to say to us. So everybody else should go into the boat and say, Lord, are you using me to speak something? What is it that you want to say? And someone will then share what the Lord might be saying. That's how the two work together. Okay, we'll talk more about that next week. Okay, we're going to do some case studies to get some practical examples of how these things work, and then we'll conclude for the evening. So on your papers here, on your handouts, the uh, the side that is two-sided, it examples of the gifts and situations of service to others. So what we're going to do is go through the three case studies and we'll talk about them in your small group. I'm going to read the case study with you and then you'll answer the small, in your small group what you think are the answers to this. Okay, example one. A parish member, Carol, engages in providing food to the poor in a local outreach in the community. She does this once per week for about one hour each time. She's been doing this for several months. She began to notice that in the last several times of giving food for the poor, Carol sensed an inspiration with a particular regular person, we'll call her Ashley, to talk about God's love with that person. As Carol began to talk to Ashley about God's love, she noticed an impression within her own heart for Ashley that she needed to be encouraged regarding the affirmation of Ashley's identity as a child of God And that through her situation, and that though her situation was difficult, the Lord wanted Ashley to know that she belonged to him and that he would provide for all her needs. Carol shares this with Ashley and then asks if she can pray with her. Okay, so my two questions for you to talk about briefly in your small group. What are the the roles Carol is engaged in as a Christian? And two, what spiritual gift or anointing is manifested here by the Spirit on this particular day? Because I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes to talk about that in your small group.